Hello and welcome to this special three-part podcast for Mail Plus Health. I'm Dr. Max Pemberton, a doctor and Daily Mail columnist, and over the next three podcasts, I'm going to be talking to Dr. Meg Arrell, a leading health psychologist who's got some interesting things to say about food and dieting. Now, with over half of people in the UK being overweight or obese, it's fair to say that a good number of us don't have the kind of relationship with food that we might want. There's no doubt that lockdown has made this even worse. For many of us, after months of being at home, food has become even more important. Meal times are now a highlight of the day for a lot of us. Dr. Meg has developed a way of understanding our relationship with food, which explores how we often see food as a treat, a reward, comfort, or de-stressor. Dr. Meg, thank you for joining us. Hello, Max. Thank you so much for having me today. So you're a health psychologist, which sort of occurred to me that some people might not know that term. So, so just sort of briefly explain what, what is a health psychologist and how is it, is it different from a normal psychologist? A health psychologist would be more likely to work with someone that would be defined as having a physical health condition. But we know that conditions aren't strictly just physical or, or just sort of mental health issues. They they interact, our mind and bodies interact with each other. So in that sense, absolutely. Whereas a clinical psychologist would be more likely to work with someone, say, with a major depressive disorder or sort of high level anxiety. So health psychologists, in a sense, we look at the physical and that's why even eating behaviour is so important to the field of health psychology. So then, yeah, so that brings us on then really to, I suppose, this is your kind of your expert area, isn't it? Is it sort of, you know, the relationship that we have with food. So can you just explain a bit more, what is your work focusing on particularly? So within shrinkology, and that's the um, umbrella term that, that I use for this, we really look at those areas and see how an individual's eating patterns can relate to their habitual sort of behaviours, their learnt behaviours. But also, we can even think about what, what childhood influences have led to certain thought patterns that drive eating behaviour, but also someone's personality. Because when we were devising shrinkology, um, we were thinking about actually Diets in the short term, they do tend to work, actually. We often say that diets don't work, but what we mean is that diets often don't work in the long term. But people will lose weight from any sort of calorie-restricted type diet plan um, in the short term. But it's actually really difficult to move that to the maintenance stage, and health psychology very much um, attends to that maintenance stage. And that's because diets often are working against people's innate characteristics whereas shrinkology it's about working with your personality and not against it so to talk to me then about why is it so hard then to to maintain a a diet you know you've lost the weight it would seem sort of like logical that if you've managed to to shift some weight that then you would sort of be feel like well you know this is it's worked fantastic i'm just going to keep keep going with it um so what why is it why is it so difficult Generally, because um, when we lose weight, we are not thinking about changing our habits long term. So we're just doing something to say to get to a certain weight point or to fit into, um, say, say, a dress for a special occasion or because we've had a health scare. But we're not really focusing on that long term health behavior change. And that's key. So if we don't attend to, say, our environment and if we don't attend to the drivers of our patterns, some of those will be emotional and some of those will just be because this is what we've already always done in our lives then we would just revert back to our sort of uh, behaviours that we've we've always sort of uh, maintained. 
And that's why right now, when we're in this sort of state of chronic stress in the pandemic, a lot of people have gone back to eating behaviors that perhaps they had, they'd actually managed to overcome in the past when they've um, done a diet or a lifestyle change. But because of the stress and because we are all living sort of at home and a food is one of our only sources of comfort, it's gone back to that sense of emotional stress and boredom eating. Jim, this is it's so true because I remember the first the first lockdown I was I was on my own in a house um and uh, it was you know very stressful I was on a covid ward and it was all kind of quite horrible yeah. um and I found myself every evening because if you remember back in the first lockdown lots of the shops were closing at sort of seven o'clock and I'd sort of just finished work and I was just seemed to get into Marks and Spencer's on time literally sort of 10 to 7 and I sort of rushed around and I found myself repeatedly just go, sort of going for basically kind of I mean like comfort food really mm-hmm. um, sort of you know like a nice fish pie and then I think well I treat myself to a pudding and then I get one of those little kind of glass you know the little glass of wine things and and basically I realised after about two months of this I realised I was ha- having a pudding every single day mm-hmm. and then often buying picking up a bag of sweets and stuff and I thought god this, I mean I'd never eat like that normally but it was I suppose a combination of just being sort of bored feeling that I should kind of treat myself wanting something I suppose to almost kind of take my mind off and help me relax when I got home mm-hmm. but I ended up putting on five kilos wow <laughs> which is quite horrific and I thought my goodness I didn't even realize and so then sort of over the summer I sort of went back to the gym I sort of started you know really looking after myself eating very sensibly and I've noticed again, I've slipped back into that pattern again in this kind of in this lockdown. But as I've sort of slightly panicked and sort of now having to literally just for only about the past week, having to really sort of watch what, what I'm eating. But what I've noticed is that the evenings then kind of like seem to spread out quite a lot and you feel quite what is there to do now you know I've had my dinner it's seven o'clock what is there to look forward to um you know if I'm not going to also then sort of have a pudding at nine and then maybe have like a hot chocolate and so on and so on and you think god this is actually I've become really reliant on food as well I suppose it kind of you know reward for me yeah yeah, absolutely. And and food is a reward in, in a sense. So um, foods in general, but certain types of foods, certainly, because foods that are quite highly processed are very much engineered to reach what we call a bliss point. So it triggers that reward center in your brain and you want it again and again, especially if you're feeling a bit low or tired or had a particularly hard day, or if there's just not any other types of reward, because there are non-food rewards, obviously, but foods mm. are very accessible too. So they, they are so easy to get. And you just getting there in time for Marks and Spencers. I mean, that is just absolutely classic. But nowadays, especially if you're in a city, you can just sit on your phone and, and tap an app and food will be delivered that, again, generally will be quite ultra processed, if not highly processed. And, and those are the foods that we know are addictive like. So we want them again and again. And just going back to your example, if you think about all of the things that you would normally do, like go to the gym, well, we haven't been able to do that so our daily habits really have changed and in terms of health behavior we do know if we can fit those into our daily habits then we're much more likely to keep them going long term and we just haven't been able to so it's less surprising to me um, what has happened in terms of eating behavior it would be more surprising if people had all maintained their healthy weight and found (laughs) it really easy so it's it's really there shouldn't be sort of any self-recrimination or 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 guilt around it it makes complete sense that we've been drawn to food because it's been one of the 
only sources of reward that we have at the moment. Yes, I mean, certainly, I, you know, as, as you were saying, I normally go to the gym. And actually, I often get the sense of, in my mind, it's like once I've gone to the gym, when I get back, I kind of, I, I, I feel, firstly, I suppose that, that's partly a reward. You get like a bit of a boost from going to the gym. But also, in my mind, I'm like, well, I don't want to undo the work I've just done. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't, I don't want to sit down and eat, you know, a massive tiramisu and have a hot chocolate or a glass of wine and everything. So it kind of puts me in a particular mindset, whereas I kind of feel now... Um, yeah, so you know, and I think, oh goodness, if I'm feeling like this, I wonder what a lot of other people um, are thinking. You know, I'm kind of, you know, I work in eating disorders. I'm quite mindful about uh, this sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it must be very, very difficult for lots of people. So to talk about, because I was interested when I was reading some of your stuff, I was really interested about this idea about the associations that we have with food, particularly about mm-hmm. sort of harking back to when we were when we were children. And about that idea of kind of nurture and comfort. So talk, talk to me a bit more about that. Why is it that we kind of, as a default, seem to go back to our childhood? Well, food and, and, and feeding and nurturing, they're very much linked to, to developing attachments with our primary caregiver. So it's, it's almost impossible to sort of um, extricate food from a sense of, of love and nurture. So when we're feeling a bit down and, and we want to feel cared for, food is a very easy thing to turn to, um, especially if we're going through something that's particularly tough. But it's not just that. It's not just the very early childhood influences. Um, I don't know about you, Max, but certainly when, when I was a little kid, if I ever banged my knee or had to go to the doctor, I was rewarded with a treat. So let's go have an ice cream or let's go have some, yeah. <laughs> some you know, some chips or something to, to kind of make it all okay. And that is very much a sense of conditioning, actually, that we were um, unknowingly being a little bit conditioned to associate food with, with feeling a bit better after something that was perhaps unpleasant. So there was all these associations and it can be kind of difficult to, to see those at first, but it's absolutely possible. And what you were saying before about your, your patterns and you didn't quite realize it in, in, until sort of a few weeks into the second lockdown, it, a lot of eating is very much automatic and we're on autopilot. Um, we make around 200 decisions around food each day and most of those are outside of our conscious awareness because they have to be. We only have a certain amount of cognitive capacity each day and so if we used up all that decision-making time to just think about what was sort of going into our mouths, we wouldn't have that sort of that ability to think about other things that we need to think about like work and family and everything else that comes with with life. So um, that sense of mindless eating, and you'll be very aware of the benefits of mindful eating, can can get lost um, very easily. And so bringing that awareness back and looking at our associations is a really powerful tool. And it's really easy to do, actually. All we need to do is note down what we're eating, how we're feeling, who we're with and what we're doing in a food and mood diary. And I tell you what, with with my clients, the light bulb moments then where they see the links between how they're feeling or thinking what they're doing and then what they eat or or their cravings and hunger, it is absolutely, you know, it can be life-changing just seeing that and be able to unpick some of those associations that we've developed over a lifetime. So, so I, I suppose kind of you know the the foundation of, of of what you're saying is is that actually the choices we make around food aren't necessarily about hunger. You know, they're not just simply about getting energy. It's actually to do with the kind of emotions. It's like about what's going on in our head. Is that right? 
Absolutely. So I don't say you are what you eat. I say you are why you eat. And that distinction is quite important. And it can be a skill to to think about, is this a physical hunger I'm feeling? Or is it some other type of hunger? Is it emotional hunger? Is it a stress hunger? And again, that can be really helpful. And you know what? It can be something really simple, like being just a little bit thirsty and dehydrated. So there's lots of ways to, to differentiate between what is true physical hunger and what is really being triggered by something else. So let's talk about then some some of these kind of triggers. So, t- so, so if we're saying, okay, so a lot of what we eat or the way that we eat, the choices around food are actual are actually to kind of do with our feelings and our emotions rather than actually a need for that particular meal. Obviously, some of those some of those feelings and those emotions get triggered by certain things. Mm-hmm. And I suppose one of those things that often I deal with, you know, working in eating sort of is things around self esteem. Mm-hmm. So, to just talk to me about the kind of role then that self esteem has in in all this. So, with regards to self esteem, I think another thing that we need to consider is is the impact really on our social context. And there, there are really mixed messages in, in terms of how we should feel about ourselves in terms of mm. body image. I'm sure you come across this quite, quite a lot. And it, it can be hard. It can be hard because that then coupled with the amount of information we have every day about food sources, which really prime and trigger some sort of cravings, but then we'll feel guilty about it because actually maybe we don't look like what we see every day, you know, whether that be on social media, whether it be on other types of media, or just the way that we want to portray ourselves. So there can be a real internal conflict there. And again, what I would say is that there shouldn't be a self recrimination type uh, thought pattern with that, we should take away people's sense of guilt and and show that actually everybody has that, you know, an internal sort of conflict. And if we think about, if we think about, okay, so we are human beings, but actually our physiology hasn't evolved that much from our ancestors. Mm -hmm. And we are drawn towards sort of energy dense foods, they taste good, we like them. And sort of uh, in, in terms of evolution and survival, they would be great for us. If there were any times of famine, we could store that energy. So our brains and our bodies still want that kind of food, but it's just so prevalent. It's not, we don't have times, you know, of famine as such. And so we don't need to store that for, you know, those bad times. So the awareness that actually the environment is triggering some types of hungers, but then also perhaps making us feel a little bit bad about ourselves in terms of body image, again, is a is something to really highlight so people can understand why they might be feeling like that. And as, a, and you know, as you were saying about that kind of mixed messages, I often see this where you, you're kind of, on one hand, we're sort of told, you know, you, you know you, you're worth it, you know, indulge yourself, you know, treat yourself. Yeah. And we're kind of, you know, there's a whole you know multi-billion pound industry uh food industry trying to just kind of promote and push you know highly processed food um and sort of selling it to us as you know as a kind of as a as a treat as something that you know that we kind of we've earned um and yet on the flip side we've then told you know we have to look a very particular way and you know you have to have you know be able to wear fit into a certain size clothes etc etc and the two of those are completely inconsistent you know they're, they're incompatible you can't be eating loads and loads and loads of highly processed food and also 
also be you know a size zero with a thigh gap those you know they, they, they just they, yeah. they don't marry up and then we wonder why people feel constantly conflicted and mm-hmm. very distressed and I was interested by what you were saying about that that kind of process then of feeling kind of trapped and confused and and a failure mm-hmm. then actually feeds into itself into the problem and about oh, how that then triggers people then think feeling well you know I failed uh, you know I'm I'm fat and greedy and all these other things and then actually then they would reach for food as a as a comfort because they're then feeling really distressed well exactly because then if we think about when we were perhaps children what made us feel what made us feel better or even even not even having that association from childhood but just in terms of the way food is advertised and sold you know you know this pot of ice cream will make you feel so much better um yeah. but yes those those mixed messages honestly you just it, it feels like you can't win it's so so difficult so one thing we talk about in shrinkology and some of the work I do with my clients really is about digital detoxing and having awareness of how all this information does affect the way you feel about yourself, but then also winning yourself off it a little bit too, because that is incredibly helpful for eating patterns, but also for senses of anxiety and stress as well. So talk to me then, let's just, just elaborate on that a bit more. So the digital detoxing, by which you mean kind of presumably like stepping away from things like Instagram and Facebook and stuff, where the kind of body image thing is, is particularly prevalent. Is that right? Yes, and I, I'm not sure that I think it's stepping away from, but using it in a way that is sort of, that doesn't make you feel bad, basically. So if certain um, accounts you look at make you feel a, a, a bit low, just don't follow them and fill your feed with things that make you feel really good about yourself. And even if it's just silly cat videos, like seriously, who cares? Whatever makes you feel good. <laughs> um, and again, it's about just using these things, which are tools, but in a way that really boosts self-esteem rather than draining it. That's all we've got time for today, but come back next week for part two. In the meantime, do head over to Dr. Meg's website, which is shrinkology.co.uk. And don't forget to subscribe so you know when the next podcast is released. You can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And whilst you're there, please leave us a review.